Okay, we are in justification by faith. This is part two. I'm going to review from the handout what we went over last week and then show you what we're going to do this week. Last week, we proved that justification is a forensic term. And when used in regard to salvation is always meant to be uh, judicial, which is what we mean by forensic. It has to do with language of a courtroom of righteousness and guilt or condemnation. And the great error of, the, of an, an apostate religion says that justification has to do with inherent or infused righteousness. Another way of thinking about that, children, is, is righteousness, which is from us and not alien to us. Okay? Alien would be the opposite of inherent. And so this inherent righteousness in no way is the foundation of our justification. Is there an inherent righteousness? Not in justification, but in sanctification. The Lord is making us more and more holy all throughout our Christian life. And so what is the only foundation of our justification? It's, my friends, Christ's righteousness alone. We proved that from the scriptures last week. This week, we're looking at the two parts of justification and how it is opposed uh, The teaching of the Bible on this is opposed by the Roman Catholic Church. I want to draw your attention to Canon 30 of uh, the Council of Trent. I'm sorry I didn't um, name that, but these canons are all from the the Trent's canons against the biblical doctrine of justification. Uh, I'll add a reference before I upload this on on our website. But let me read to you. I want you to think about this. So this this is a twisting of the truth, see if you can catch it, okay? If anyone says that after the reception of the grace of justification, the guilt is so remitted and the debt of eternal punishment so blotted out that no debt of temporal punishment remains to be discharged before the gates of heaven can be opened, let him be anathema. All right? Did you catch it, children? I'm going to say it in... Uh, In other words, or in layman's terms, as some people say, this is saying that don't you dare say that the grace of justification takes away all guilt. There is still going to be some punishment needed after you receive the justification, uh, grace of justification. You will have this in purgatory or if you're really, really, really good, your inherent righteousness will pay for that punishment due unto you for your sins. Do you see it? Do you see how this conception leaves the people enslaved? But what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that there is an absolute abolition. There is an absolute remission. There is an absolute taking away of sin. The guilt of it. The wages of sin are turned away from the Christian so that... There's no condemnation at all. No condemnation. Now, this is needing qualification. Because although the guilt and the condemnation is wholly gone with justification, yet there's some things that are not gone. And that is indwelling corruption, indwelling sin. Now, this also, if you can remember back, when we talked about the difference between the Bible's conception of, of... human nature after the fall and after they are saved. Remember, we talked about how the 
the conception from the Roman Catholic Church was that at baptism there was a there was a returning of the nature of man to who he was in like Adam, able to choose good and evil without any corruption. But that's not the doctrine of the Bible. We teach and show from the Bible that there is an inherent corruption which follows original sin follows in its effect and in its corruption even after regeneration where the Roman Catholic Church would say no upon baptism the original sin's gone it's taken away and you got sins in the future you're going to do but you just have other ways of getting rid of that which is not by justification but by increasing justification that's their idea you can see them talking about increasing justification in these very canons and I hope that you will Uh, see that that is something inimical. It's opposite to what the Bible teaches. And so we're going to look at some of what the Bible says. Romans 7 verse uh, 21. We're going to go to first. In Romans 7 verse 21, you have the inward fighting of a believer. Paul, the regenerated apostle, finding this in his soul. I find then... A law that when I would do good, children, that means when I want to, when I have a desire within myself and I I will therefore to do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, that's the regenerated portion of man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity. There's that enslavement idea to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Christians can say this not because of that new heart that's been given to them. That's not wretched, but because of that remaining indwelling sin and corruption, even after justification. But what is the effect of justification? And, and this, this is the beautiful part. We're, we're going to go from Romans 7 straight into 8. And look what happens. After he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Look at verse 8. Verse 1. The very beginning of it. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Do you see that justification... In order for it to have such an effect that there's absolutely no condemnation. Children, you're like, what's condemnation? Once you understand the word, it's very easy to see where the doctrine's coming from. Condemnation is punishment due unto us for sin. It's the punishment of that uh, eternal death, which we deserve in body and soul. We begin receiving it in body and soul. And then there's an end state where we have it fully if we have not Christ. But in the midst of that beginning of death, that body of death, that deathness, that dead in sin that we are, if we're rescued, if we're saved, we're taken into a state of justification where we've been lifted up from that journey to eternal death in order to have only the declaration of righteousness. And so the condemnation being totally taken away, there is no more punishment at all for the believer. That's what Romans 8.1 is teaching. 
You can see this, though, all throughout Romans and the Bible, but look at it more explicitly in Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, it doesn't say we have some peace. It doesn't say we have temporary peace. It says we have peace. How can we say we have peace if we have to have burned off in purgatory some punishment due unto our sins? There's there's no peace there. Peace would happen after that, after this purgation or this purifying. The scripture says nothing about this. It says, rather, when you are justified, you have peace. You have absolute lack of condemnation. Or to put it another way, you have absolute Righteousness. So what does the Roman Catholic Church say? The Roman Catholic Church in opposition to this idea, this is part one of justification, remission of sin. It says that the, the reply is, is that justification, it, it's the death of Christ is not sufficient. There must be added to it sundry other things for its increase and completion. And they would admit Jesus is behind it all. His death is the foundation of it all. It's the foundation of our confession booths. It's the foundation of our, uh, of our uh, saying of the Hail Marys. It's the fa- they would say Jesus is the foundation, but what they would miss is that he is not the sole foundation. And that's why they make so careful attention to say in Canon 9, That the sinner, if anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required, let him be anathema. They need to have other things required, you see. Uh, You'll see that uh, this is also in Canon 14. If anyone says that man is absolved from his sins and justified, because he firmly believes that he is absolved and justified, and that by this faith alone absolution and justification are effected. Let him be anathema. So you see, they they don't want the thing alone. There has to be something added. There needs to be not an absolute abolishment of guilt. There must be some condemnation left for those who remain sinning after justification. And so what the idea then of the Roman Catholic Church of Justification is, is a partial remission. And then able to be an increase, totally covered, but at least initially it is partial. But I want to show you from two verses especially that there is a total remission of the believer's sins. Psalm 32 Psalm 32, verse 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. This is the um, picture of the scriptures that there is a covering of sin and there is a blotting out of the transgressions written against us. There is this... uh, Casting behind the back of God our sins so that he is not remembering it. All of all of this scripture language is pointing to the fact that the sin is covered by the blood of Jesus, but that it still is remaining 
inherently in us with the indwelling sin and corruption. And this is why that language of covering is used. When you cover something, it's still there. You just can't see it. Justification is that act of God covering it so that as a judge, he doesn't see it. As God, he knows what's there. And as you sin and he's covering it, he's going to frown. And when you and when you ask for forgiveness, he will assure you that you are forgiven. But there is no doubt that every single sin is covered so that the very moment of your transgression of it now realize he doesn't cover sin you haven't committed. That's just plain logic. You're not born covered. You're born a sinner. But there's a moment in which you're justified and all of those sins are covered up to that point in your life. And then the next day you sin and that's covered. The next day you sin and that's covered. And that truth of the perpetual covering of your sin because of the grace of justification, that is something which is explained by the fact that Jesus says daily you ought to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And at the moment of you're asking that forgiveness, you're granted it, not because you're good enough, not because you merely asked, but because you are in a state of justification already. It's promised to you and it's already covered. You're just now receiving the subjective effects of it in the assurance of faith. So 32.1, blessed. You cannot call someone blessed who has not their sins remitted totally. If I am just have my sins imputed for today, but tomorrow I'm going to die in my sins, I'm not blessed. I'm not even blessed that day because the next day is going, should affect my happiness as much as the present. If I am not sure whether I'm going to survive or persevere tomorrow, how can I be happy today? Therefore, 32.1 clearly teaches this, but it's even more clear, of course, as we look at 1 John. I'll read for you 1 John 1.9. And this is one you guys have memorized. You know this verse. The reason you've memorized it is because it's precious to our souls because of what it teaches. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. Oh, wait a minute. That's not right, is it? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no exception here. There's no exception. And therefore, the remission of sin is total and absolute, and it covers all believers' sins. The second part of justification is the right to life. The right to life. I'm going to take this from Romans 8, as it is most explicit. Romans 8, verses 2 and 3. Talking about, therefore, we have no condemnation. Now let's finish this portion. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The law of the spirit of life. If we truly have the spirit given to us, what is this spirit? 
This spirit is the spirit of life. It's also called the spirit of adoption. Uh, it's called, I, I think that's in Romans 6. Let me check to see if that's true. Or maybe it's a little bit later in 8. Um, there it is. 8.15. For if you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. What is this word? The spirit of life and the spirit of adoption are the same thing. They're the same idea. Adoption is a legal, um, a legal process by which someone is brought into the family or the life of another by legal right and grant. It's a legal process and something which by, by giving, given the spirit, we're made part of God's family. It's the second part of justification. This is why very often you'll see in the older doctors, they'll talk about our justification or sanctification and our glorification. And if you know about adoption and the fact that there's a whole chapter of it in the Westminster Confession, you're like, why are they leaving out adoption? Well, this is why. It's very clearly the second part of justification. It's so important that we bring it out and talk about it by itself, but it is indeed the second part of justification. And this is the idea. If you just had your sins remitted or covered or taken away in justification, you're in big trouble because you had your sins forgiven, but there is um, much you have to do to attain to life, to attain to eternal life. And, and this is the idea that by imputing your sins to Christ, sins are forgiven. But there's that other imputation, which is so important. And that's the imputation of his righteousness to your account. By that imputation, there is in you a inheritance or a grant of life. What is required in the law? Do this and thou shalt live. You see the grant to life? It's connected to the doing, to the righteousness. The just shall live by faith. What does this all mean? That in order for you to be saved, you must not just have a covering of sins. You must have a grant to life. You must have the covenant of works paid for or or fulfilled in order that you may have the reward, eternal life. Children, you can think about it in this way as well. The ticket into heaven is the righteousness of Christ. If it says not alien righteousness on it alone, you have not the ticket into heaven. This is adoption. This is the right to life. This is the fact that in order for you to have this life and this entry, there must be this uh, legal union between you and God where you become his sons. Or as it says in John 1, you have the power of the sons of God. What does that mean? Let me read it for you. I think it's John 1.12. What does this power, does this mean you have authority? Does this mean that God's granted you to have authority over him? Not at all. Verse 12 of John 1, but as many as received him, to them gave he power. To, if they would have translated that authority, I would. there's big problems with that. It can mean authority in the Greek, but in this context, it does not mean authority. It very clearly means the power of a grant or a right so that you can take the piece of paper and you can say, I am your son 
and all of the inheritance, therefore, is due unto me. And so John 1.12 and this power to become the sons of God is the right or the grant to become the sons of God. This is the second part of justification. It is opposed by the Roman Catholic Church, not in its uh, bare meaning. They agree with adoption, but in its permanence. They believe that you can be adopted and then unadopted. And that I have left for a separate time to consider the idea of the perseverance of those justified. And that will be another time. For now, I believe that we've come to uh, the end of our time. And so I hope that you see the two parts of justification, the, the remission of sin and also the right to life to ours children, if that helps. And, and that is opposed by the Roman Catholic Church in the fact that they do not allow an absolute abolishment of guilt, that they want some future temporal punishment, that they may uphold such doctrines like purgatory, and they also uh, want to do away with indwelling sin and corruption, where we confess it still remains in the believer unto death, wherein they are made perfect. And also the Roman Catholic Church wants you to say, that remission is only partial and becomes total only by future confession and absolution where we confess that remission is total over all of believers' sins. I hope that gives you a good synopsis. Is, is there any questions in regard to this particular point of the two parts of justification? Yes, Mrs. Paddocks. You are understanding 100% correct. Federal vision is a return to the Roman Catholic dogma. Totally. Yeah. Yep. The, the, only, the only way it's a little bit different is they couch it in covenant, mono-covenantal language, where the Roman Catholics being more Thomist will you know, couch it more in, in God's will and logic and that kind of thing. So, but it's the same exact soteriology. Isn't that scary? Because it's the obvious way they invented. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there's nothing new under the sun, right? You don't even get that. That's right, right. That's right. Brendan, that's right. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, thank you for that point. That's a good point for those who um, are flirting with federal visionist. Yeah, it's very dangerous. Very dangerous. Okay, we're going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll release for a 15-minute break. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you cover all of our sins with the blood of Jesus Christ, and that we have a right to life, to be called your sons, and to have all the inheritance of our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for our Savior. Bless us now, we pray, for his sake. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.